and thank you for joining us on the Therapy Cable podcast. What you're about to listen to are conversations and interviews on some of the most crucial and important topics in the behavioral and mental health space. It is our mission to help remove the stigmas attached to mental health, psychology, and addiction, one recording at a time. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Esam Garajudaki with Therapy Table. And uh, what we are going to discuss every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific daytime or standard time uh, are issues with personality disorders. I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm here to help answer questions. If you guys have any uh, comments, questions, requests, please feel free to post. Um, and uh, send us emails or call in or just post on the, on the live channel and uh, I'll be glad to answer them. So today's topic about personality disorders will be uh, revolving around the, the reality that they are very difficult to treat and, uh, and what it means for us basically and uh, some examples how we can <clears throat> first of all understand uh, the difficulty in that's, that's in place and also how to go about it and change the characteristics and, and the situations, if you will, as well as treating the disorder. So we have talked in the past about the different clusters, plus A, B, and C of personality disorders according to the DSM. And I'm not going to go through all of them before. There are other videos available if you're interested, you can look at them and uh, watch them or uh, listen to your podcast as well and learn about them. But um, I'm just going to kind of very quickly without giving the description, list them and then uh, address each uh, one by one. So uh, in the cluster A, which is the odd eccentric cluster, uh, the person is, we have three, uh, first of all, we have three personality disorders. Um, One is the... um, uh, schizotypal, and um, uh, the other one, uh, also known as uh, schizoid uh, personality disorder, and um, and then the paranoid personality disorder. So uh, let's start with the with the paranoid. So if someone has uh, suffering, really, and that's ultimately what I can characterize it with, is a state of suffering. Someone who is who has Person, a paranoid personality, you know, and that, that's, uh, remember the definition is that enduring um, impairment and interpersonal functioning, uh, so then uh, they're truly suffering from a constant anxiety around their self-protection and being more or less attacked and threatened by others, by their environment, and at times even imaginary uh, figures. So without having a t- tangible um, evidence that someone is hurting them, without even knowing specifically who may be hurting them. So um, thinking about it, this particular predicament that somebody may be uh, constantly anxious and nervous and, um, and kind of uh, withdrawn from everyone around them, uh, you can imagine how what the suffering is, is like. So certainly 
at some, I mean, if I was suffering from that paranoid personality, I can imagine that I would get exhausted myself, you know, after a while I want to just kind of get a reprieve and escape from it. So certainly um, that burden itself needs to be understood. And I have worked with a few people in terms of clinical practice and even <clears throat> in, uh, in, in business dealings and in interpersonal relationships with people who have constantly these paranoid ideations. So, um, number one, when we say, why is it difficult? You know, that's an example, the paranoid, but certainly uh, the difficulty of treating personality disorder yeah, across the board with all the categories and all the clusters. So, why is it difficult to treat? First of all, let's address that. Number one, the personality is, is an identity, is a person's sense of um, kind of composing themselves, forming and shaping a presence, if you will, a psychological skin, a boundary around a, uh, ident kind of uh, affirming who they are, um, what their limitations are, what the strengths and weaknesses are, what the uh, particular uh, traits and um, characteristics in terms of their <clears throat> ability to present themselves in a uh, predictable fashion. And that's the other aspect of an identity. Uh, it's a concept, a phenomenon that is understood in, under the, um, uh, under an enduring, long-term, consistent, persisting um, shape and form. The personality doesn't change overnight. The personality doesn't uh, fluctuate from day to day. You know, uh, that's, that's an integral component of understanding identity and personality. If it is called identity or personality, uh, one of the largest reasons and characteristics why it is called identity or personality is its consistency and persistence over time without much fluctuations. There's some um, flexibility to it. Person may uh, have a leeway, if you will, or a percentage, maybe 5% of their traits and characteristics, preferences, fluctuate over time a little bit from one day to, to the other. But uh, overall, there's a predictability to that pattern of the way they present themselves, the way they uh, describe themselves, the way they feel internally, the, the way they interact with their environment, the way they respond to their environment and the demands of the society. So uh, then perhaps what we could uh, discern from that and infer from it is, um, you know, you could easily predict uh, certain habits of people that you know based on your knowledge of their identity and personality such as the way they groom themselves, or dress up, or drive, or walk, or talk, or just make certain decisions, or may feel in certain situations. So, because of that whole definition of consistency and persistent, enduring, unaltering, um, non-changeable pattern of being, uh, you know, we can understand that any change to it is uh, not going to come easy, right? It happens probably over many, many years. It would be slight change. And except if perhaps a person just makes a conscious 
choice on the one hand, that's one of the reasons to make a conscious choice of changing their personality based on certain epiphany or insight or learning that they obtain. And or uh, that would be a second uh, possibility is that they would suddenly change their personality perhaps based on trauma, sometimes traumatic event that is um, uh, deeply troubling for them and really hits them into the core of their identity and therefore there's a um, shift and a transformation that takes place which leads to a change of their personality. And third option that comes to my mind would be a, an organic biological change. And we, for instance, we know from history there is a case of a guy called a railroad worker called Phineas Gage that uh, uh, a person who uh, was kind of a more or less a cordial, polite individual and after uh, having an accident with a rod, iron rod going through his brain and hitting his uh, limbic system, uh, central area of his brain, that all, and then he survived the blow attack but then uh, became a different person. His personality completely changed, become, became reclusive and secluded and belligerent and assaultive toward people and, 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 and basically died uh, alone and uh, shunned from the society. So um, those are at least three options that come to my mind and reasons why a drastic personality change would take place. Otherwise, um, uh, the changes, any changes would be gradual over time and really hardly discernible. Uh, so, um, and that is really the core reason and, 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 and concept to understand the, that also dysfunctions, um, maladaptive uh, presentations, maladaptive aspects of personality too are long enduring and not amiable to change and alteration immediately. Uh, when we talk about personality disorders, we're talking about such maladaptive, dysfunctional, um, debilitating, um, self-defeating, uh, almost self-destructive aspects of a person's personality. So just like with the good traits, also the bad traits are resistant to uh, change um, over a shorter period of time. Now, that's one side of it. And the other one, I would say, is that um, idea of benefit, primary benefit, or, as well as secondary benefit, come to my mind. But generally, the idea of benefit, that any aspects of personality, uh, whether it's good or bad, provides a benefit. So going back to that paranoid uh, example, the paranoid personality, let's go through that. You know, what kind of benefit could paranoia provide? So, and that is where <clears throat> we can gain uh, knowledge and insight from models and theories because the mind is really a particularly uh, kind of a sealed, it's almost hermeneutically sealed or uh, quite strongly sealed against our uh, ability to assess and discern, especially because everything that is occurs in our mind mostly is a product of our neurobiological uh, interactions, neurochemical, neurobiological, uh, neuronal interactions that 
uh, for which we don't have a tool to uh, thoroughly, exactly, and accurately to uh, take it apart, analyze it to the, let's say, the bits of the information and, and create some kind of a causality and proof for why things happen the way they do in our mind and as a result, why we make certain decisions or feel certain way or think certain way or take certain action. So that's of our lack of really just measurement tools, assessment tools, inference tools, analysis tools, um, and ability to make it concrete and tangible. We have to rely on a lot of theoretical models as means of inference. So rather than being able to more or less what is called in the scientific methodology as um, a very kind of hard science or hard facts where we can easily take molecules, let's say, apart and create a causal relationship that um, can uh, provide us with almost 100% reliability and validity uh, and uh, have proof in front of us. We can't do that with our thoughts and brain and uh, neurochemical uh, interaction. So what we would have to do is uh, make certain assumptions, hypotheses, those are called the, the models that we come from, and then based on uh, predictions, more or less, make certain uh, inferences and conclusions. So um, when it comes to, let's say, paranoid personality, there are some models that would explain why a person would have even developed a paranoia and um, this self-protective, uh, if you will, uh, accusation, displeasure, perception of threat in the first place. And, uh, and uh, ultimately, the understanding here is that the paranoia serves a purpose. And more or less, it is also, especially from a psychodynamic perspective, regarded as a defense mechanism for this person. Uh, albeit a, a kind of a, uh, you know, less ideal defense mechanism, but it is uh, better than not having any defense mechanisms in the first place. Now, it, it, it may have formed based on lots of different uh, factors that I don't want to get into right now in this live session, uh, unless a person is, uh, some of you who are highly interested to hear that and we can we can get into it or we can also do a phone consultation because it's not interesting for everyone to hear but ultimately the commonality between all uh, these personality disorders as well as our interest everybody who's listening and watching this and wants to find out uh, what's ultimately common among them is the fact that uh, these defense mechanisms these ways of you know, dealing with the realities of our lives, especially the underlying anxiety, has a certain benefit. So it has provided, uh, most likely it has provided the person who is struggling with the paranoia with a benefit. And we can imagine some of those benefits, but they could be, you know. If, if you think about it, you know, just kind of common sense. Well, why would suspicion a benefit. You know, if someone has suspicion, well, we can understand that generally suspicion has lots of benefits. You know, if we didn't have the ability to suspect, to become suspicious, to have carry some suspicion around certain situations, certain people, certain intentions, certain dealings, business dealings, personal dealings, um, we lower our guard. 
them already. If we don't have suspicion, we have lower regard, increased our trust in that person or situation. And therefore, we would be more vulnerable to any unforeseen uh, uh, attacks, if you will. So suspicion generally can uh, serve uh, many of us. And um, in fact, there's no, I would say there's no human being who doesn't utilize a suspicious uh, assessment of situations on a daily basis. We become, we become suspicious um, more or less automatically about lots of things. You know, for instance, if you go into a shop and you want to purchase something, you may be a little bit suspicious in, about, in, in terms of uh, how much they charge, if the salesperson is trying to pull one over you, um, you know, cheat you out of uh, certain benefits, uh, you know, uh, charge more, deliver less, uh, we become suspicious if um, maybe even a police officer, you know, stops us on the street in terms of what do they want, what did I do wrong. Um, if we didn't, we may jump to conclusions such as, let's say, uh, assuming that we are being discriminated against, uh, we, be, we become suspicious if our, uh, let's say, loved one and partner in life, romantic partner, um, acts uh, in a certain unpredictable and uh, untypical, atypical way, such as like they were supposed to answer their phone and they don't answer it, they were supposed to be in a place or they are not in that place. We become suspicious about business dealings and relationships, business relationship partnerships, if we uh, notice that maybe there is a, a certain benefit at stake, such as monetary or um, other types of benefits that we may be afraid our partner may want more, um, because all of us as human beings, we're you know, uh, very familiar with the concept of greed. At times, we ourselves become greedy about certain things and may want more than others. So, if you think about this, the suspicion generally is a human characteristic, is a skill, is a level of awareness and discernment that generally is very useful. And we, we all engage in that on a daily basis. There are tons of you know, examples, and I'm not going to go through them, right? If we, you all have your own examples. So, however, in case of paranoid personality, it seems like this suspicion pattern is in overdrive. It is indiscriminate. It is across the board. It is constant. It's relentless. It is, as at times, in fact, at times, without merit, without a good reason, without clear evidence. Uh, it's fraught with um, almost, um, you know, kind of fabricated, or as seemingly at least fabricated assumptions and uh, speculations. And, uh, and also a presentation of a paranoid personality, a person with paranoid personality who that is overly uh, obsessed about this situation and highly um, resistant and, and, and again that self-protectiveness kicks in where it's very difficult to actually connect with them, sit down with them, gain their trust and really convince them otherwise in terms of um, contrary to their beliefs. Uh, it may take um, months or years of connecting information and helping them really link, the, create this causality that their assumptions have actually been more or less anxiety-driven and uh, without merit, without 
a good foundation in uh, in terms of evidentiary reality, and that there is a lot more evidence contrary to their beliefs, which, by the way, bring new benefits. So here the discussion changes, um, I would say, from why are they so hard to treat to, you know, how can we treat them, especially in this case that you're talking about <coughs> paranoid personality. Well, the idea here would be to replace that benefit of suspicion with benefit of uh, trust, right? And uh, basically, the, 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 uh, what we could do is help the person to gradually uh, gain and collect these pieces of uh, evidence of trust that are irrefutable, that, that are solid. And really kind of, um, even if it may be very, very small, collect this, if you will, this, this jar or this purse, this uh, little um, kind of carry-on, if you will, of uh, ability to trust at least one situation or at least one person and create that solid foundation upon which they can put the rest of their days, the rest of the situations, the rest of the people, and, and build up from there. So uh, teaching them that it is actually beneficial in their own sense of self-protection, that they can definitely protect and take care of themselves even more if they have that uh, solid, foolproof, highly reliable connection whether it is with a person or a situation that they can heavily rely on, you know, 100% rely on. And so, and then gradually uh, over time, this person can learn that, uh, you know, this benefit of being able to trust, being able to develop reliable relationships and uh, based on you know, evidence, collecting evidence and supporting that uh, experience of trust is much more valuable than just kind of going around being afraid of anybody and everything and um, collapsing and isolating themselves. So um, now moving forward, we can also go through some of these other uh, personality disorders. And by the way, if you have any questions, if there anything comes up, feel free to just text or uh, type in uh, your information. I would, don't worry about interrupting we will get to the material questions and answer those questions. And also, if you have suggestions, please feel free to post those on our um, channel. So, with schizotypal, uh, where we have talked about a person who has odd eccentric behavior and mostly, honestly, uh, a desire to connect people, but really they're uh, due to a lot of some hallucinations and delusions that they have. They, are, um, they, have, they lack the skill of um, interpersonal effectiveness of an effective way of communicating and relating to others. They're missing out on more or less a normal social code or script to know how to act and behave with other people. And uh, you could say that they are perhaps missing a certain buffer. You know, generally, uh, the, uh, most people, they have uh, their psychological skin is thick enough, let's say, to provide this buffer between their personal self and their public self. So let's say they may not necessarily e easily share some of their likes and 
dislikes and preferences. Uh, they may keep it quiet, and by sharing, I mean it could be by the means, by the way they address themselves, by the way they <coughs> behave in terms of reaction to certain stimuli, the way they laugh or uh, express their opinions, or um, uh, they, 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 let's say, jokes, if you will, or concepts that they find interesting or uninteresting, uh, the way they approach people and, and, and uh, withdraw from people, uh, generally we have a range of, of acceptable behaviors, such as, let's say, if you normal person, more or less, uh, or, or a person without schizotypal tendencies, they would enter a room, they would um, have a certain code of conduct to follow, which generally is acceptable, such as, let's say, uh, greeting uh, the people in the room, shaking hands, or um, uh, acknowledging certain individuals, uh, looking for a certain uh, chair, table, position to join the group in a very much con confirmatory or conforming uh, manner where they kind of fit in. So the social code that script they're following uh, has multiple options available for them to choose uh, and, and easily fit in that type of an environment. It could be by adjusting their tone, their voice, their language, their uh, level of being animated, their emotional expression, their thoughts, even topics that they choose, such as if the person comes in and sees his or her friend at a bar and the way they're, let's say, they're watching the sports uh, channel and the way they're reacting to that, so they easily may match that group uh, think and group dynamics and group behavior. When, so versus a person with a schizotypal personality, they may miss out on this and may have a hard time on matching these norms and codes and scripts and clues and basically act out of character or act out of order or act out of norm. So they make themselves more noticeable, they stand out, uh, there is a conflict between the way they think they should be behaving and expressing and um, interacting with others and the way expectation from that norm uh, remains within the group and is uh, presented against this person with, with schizotypal personality. So out of that clash and discrepancy, then further anxiety is created, which again leads the person to feel even more awkward and invalidated, misunderstood, unacknowledged, and vice versa for the group to sense a certain, <coughs> sorry, a certain mismatch of the social codes and norms, and then again kind of react to it maybe negatively, uh, perhaps wanting to leave the group, perhaps wanting to end the conversation, and uh, the situation becomes even more awkward. So in this case, when uh, a person with these schizotypal uh, behaviors, you know, uh, is, is uh, uh, struggling with that type of a personality, uh, it has benefited them. And again, it's hard to believe that this type of a uh, presentation is actually beneficial. Certainly over long term, it is not. But what I can see here, I can um, suggest is that there is the ability of 
um, genuinely being oneself uh, rega- regardless of social norms. That's actually, if you think about it, most people would have a hard time to um, annul or overcome social norms, ignore social norms, because that would lead to certain sense of embarrassment and, and other guilt um, that a person has chosen to, over- to ignore and blatantly um, kind of overrule certain social norms and uh, present themselves awkwardly. So with that in mind, that um, understanding is that basically what we have is uh, a person who is genuinely in uh, themselves despite the social norms. So it takes a lot of guts, a lot of, um, you know, uh, courage to go against the grain, so to say, and um, uh, and just kind of experiment with, with the situation. And perhaps that is the real benefit in terms of uh, allowing, kind of reducing their regard and uh, thinning their social skin and thinning that buffer to, to the extent that they are willing to experiment with these with this clashes, with these uh, conflicts, with um, more or less... Uh, a lot of trials and errors of trying to match the inside with the outside. So, um, and so the benefit, I would say, is more or less self-assertiveness. Uh, however, apparently what is missing here is um, uh, a sense of self-observation and self-monitoring to a point that uh, the teachable lesson can lead to a better fit within the society and as a result kind of getting the secondary benefits, the greater benefits of sense of belonging, attachment, functional relationships, um, more support from others, more inclusion, um, uh, more, um, you know, other types of benefits, if you will. Uh, For instance, somebody would enjoy to be in relationship with you and um, actually, kind of also, it goes back to that idea of what is personality and identity, that the, a person who cho- chooses to be in relationship with you can predict and rely on the fact that um, they are dealing with someone that um, is not erratically uh, changing over time. So uh, we really need that as human beings, if you think about it, we are in need of the predictability and consistency because you know, that allows us to react a little bit in face of this constant change. You know, the, uh, as they say, change is uh, inevitable, meaning that the whole world is full of change. We are faced with this constant flux of changes taking place throughout the day. Um, and certainly this whole change goes back to that um, if you will, original change or cycle that we naturally experience, which is more or less our um, uh, diurnal cycle, you know, 12 hours. change that we experience day and night, day and night. And then throughout the day, 
people, uh, changes and interactions with people. You know, people move in and move out out of our personal space. We experience and face tons of uh, demands and expectations uh, throughout the entire uh, day and night. If you are if you are awake, depending on what cycle we are uh, more or less little um, shift is. You know, some people work throughout the night and sleep during the uh, day hours. So, but because we are presented as a as a conscious awake person, we are presented with constant change, and ultimately having the ability to predict uh, the outcome and the next day or the next more or less set of uh, timelines in the future would bode well for us. We would benefit from that heavily because we would know that uh, what to what is coming our way, we can prepare for bad times, we can uh, more or less bet on good times and uh, to change and adapt our strategies to, uh, again, safeguard our uh, survivability and our, uh, our uh, vitality. So, um, <clears throat> and then, uh, like we said, the person with schizotypal uh, personality characteristics, they can only really uh, benefit from this change of uh, wanting to improve uh, as far as the concept of fitting in a community is involved. If they understand that, you know, uh, being consistent, uh, respecting that psychological skin, that appreciating that buffer, separating the inner self from the outer presentation and self, learning about this code of conduct within the community can be very beneficial for, for this person, uh, as would as it would ultimately lead to um, a, a more predictable, consistent um, uh, kind of a supply of benefits, uh, including better relationships, better opportunities, and, uh, and a greater satisfaction and gratification from that. And lastly, um, the address in this cluster A category. We are dealing with schizoid uh, personality disorder or schizoid personality disorder. So with the schizoid personality, what we have is uh, very briefly stated, no desire to really interact with others and belong and, you know, to a community or a group or be close to others or form attachments. And uh, however, um, so basically uh, kind of a sense of isolation and a tendency to stay away from people and individuals. And again, what we can imagine uh, the benefit to be in the multiple models that can explain those benefits of how they have, may have developed, but ultimately there has been a survival value to uh, getting this person kind of survive bad times and go through their life and upbringing by simply isolating themselves. Maybe that isolation and seclusion has provided them with some kind of a protection, peacefulness, um, ability to self-regulate their, their anxieties and their own self at the demand of existence. Um, which is also very important to point out. In fact, there is a whole theory of existentialism that deals with this 
what we call generally uh, existential anxiety. In fact, when when it blows up, existential anxiety becomes more of an existential terror. And uh, that's a concept, uh, very well, very uh, well known concept in both philosophical as well as psychological discourse about the fact that we as human beings are challenged existentially as we always have to deal with certain uncertainty that we can never um, get to a closure. We can never close this chapter of uncertainty in terms of existentially, uh, why do we even exist? You know, nobody can really answer that, where we come from and where we are going. You know, we're basically the, the, the putting a meaning and purposefulness and uh, a thorough understanding to the um, phenomenon of existence. We know we exist. We know we have a uh, more or less the, uh, a certain unique identity and entity that, are, that has a freedom of moving around and interacting with its environment in a very highly intellectual and intelligent uh, manner, but um, we really don't know much more than that in terms of uh, why it, it exists in the, in the first place and who has created it and um, ultimately what it is supposed to uh, provide us with. And therefore, it, it creates a sense of confusion and, um, and, um, and kind of a, uh, added worries and anxieties more or less if we are aligned with what we are supposed to be aligned with. Um, because there is no guideline, guidebook, if you will, manual um, that is universally acceptable. Certainly, all kinds of cultures and groups and sects and um, um, you know, sets or groups of people come up with different, again, theories and possibilities and hypotheses. And again, those models are also supposed to reduce our level of anxiety toward this unknown, uh, to explain our existence, to explain our um, situation, to explain our moment-to-moment self-reflection, actually. And um, so that is technically something that, because every human being really has to uh, come to terms with, ultimately based on their strengths and weaknesses, the unique characteristics of their original or and, and, and basic development from birth to death, ultimately they have to uh, develop a certain coping mechanisms around uh, management of this unknown, of the anxiety. So. In this case, again, going back to personality disorders that we have discussed, uh, some people may have created this um, overly active, obsessive, uh, and a lot of more or less compulsive, obsessive compulsive type of uh, coping skills that we mentioned that they have now internalized and integrated as part of their way of explaining themselves and the world around them. And and strike a balance, negotiated a more of a status quo. Uh, some of it is outside of their awareness, some of it is within, and some of it is um, explainable to them and to, uh, and to others, and some of it is not. 
and, uh, and, and and that's where more or less that struggle lies. So we we discuss these particular struggles for cluster A, and uh, so lastly, before I go to struggle, uh, basically uh, cluster B and cluster C are one again. Uh, bring up the opportunity of asking any questions you may have, uh, and again remind everyone that from 5 to 6 p.m. Uh, every Thursday, and that is 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, we are live, and you have, can ask questions, and um, we are here to answer them. And if you have suggestions, let us know. We'll come up with topics that uh, suit your need. So. Um, now, going forward again with the personality disorders and again finding some solutions for cluster B and C very quickly. For cluster C, we have antisocial, histrionic, borderline, and narcissistic personality disorders. So, with antisocial, there is that very briefly stated that sense of uh, ignoring authority, uh, rebelling against norms, rules, regulations, and, and kind of overruling them. Uh, especially people who can't really have deep remorse. Uh, they do not um, sense anything uh, similar to empathy or sympathy for other people's plight. So a very self-centered, selfish, self-oriented um, type of a focus on getting the, uh, taking advantage of life in whatever shape or form and adamantly fighting against uh, rules and limitations, regulations that um, they dislike. So the benefits, certainly, you can understand the benefit, right? Generally, there is an immediate benefit for a person to get what they need, one way or another, um, to not be confined by these rules and norms that exist around them and that apply to more or less the majority of the society. That's an immediate benefit they're getting. Now, they haven't necessarily incorporated those, that strategy in a way that uh, would not backfire. So ultimately, uh, getting the immediate benefit uh, by overruling and overlooking and uh, blatantly ignoring norms and rules, uh, ultimately leads to coercion, basically more or less a coercive um, backlash from the society that would put them in place and basically by force limit their ability to do further damage. And that is something that they haven't uh, particularly incorporated or, um, uh, or uh, managed to uh, weave in into a long-term plan. So they end up, you know, suffering as well. They end up mostly incarcerated and um, uh, in clashes with the uh, executive branch, if you will, of the, uh, the community and society, being the police officers, probation officers, uh, military, um, highway patrol, you know, just kind of the more generally as police force. And um, now, uh, the way out certainly would be to see the greater picture that uh, relenting on this need to get immediately gratified is um, beneficial because generally, even though they may not get what they want in the short term, if they actually play ball and if they actually master more or less the ability to deal 
with those restrictions and learn how to perhaps bend or extend or change those restrictions over time in a fashion that uh, it can be a, have a reciprocal and mutual benefit to both in them and the group around them or people around them in society, then actually they would uh, really benefit uh, deeply and extremely from having negotiated that type of a strategy on the long term. So uh, that would be really the way of helping the person with the type of social personality. So with uh, narcissistic, um, it is, and by the way, again, these are all very challenging because of what we mentioned, that particularly any of these coping skills and, and, and part of character, personality characteristics have provided useful uh, benefit over the, the uh, course of their development. So maybe let's say, for instance, a narcissist um, usually finds someone who is basically uh, kind of a dependent person and or someone with low self-esteem to complement their high grandiose um, view and perspective of their own self and uh, their value. Therefore, uh, ultimately, they have been catered to people with narcissistic personality uh, characteristics. They have, one way or another, found a uh, matching um, partner uh, or family member or acquaintance or friend or uh, you name it, just another human being to uh, cater to them, to serve them, to provide them with what they needed in that moment again whether it was fame or money or power or uh, position uh, or some other types of benefits, sexual, sensual, uh, emotional, um, or even kind of validation, recognition, and so forth. So uh, this is one of the high, most difficult, most resistant personality traits to change, very specifically due to the fact that the reward that they're getting from other people really uh, giving them what they want, becomes self-perpetuating, it's uh, very much um, a, an unbreakable cycle. It's extremely difficult to uh, take apart and really to make the person with narcissistic personality disorder aware of the uh, parallel damage, of the concurrent damage that they are doing to themselves and others, because again, a lot of the benefits and goodies that they're getting in the short term feel good. However, um, in over time, they're also establishing a destructive pattern of creating the relationships that ultimately don't last. And so no matter how long they, they do last, it could be anywhere from a few hours to decades, ultimately they fail because Bottom line, uh, the human nature of the person who is uh, has more self-esteem or catering and becomes dependent ultimately gets to a very low point where uh, this person either chooses to cease to exist, more or less commit suicide if they continue remaining in that relationship, uh, or they choose to leave because ultimately absolutely there is to find that there is absolutely no benefit uh, uh, for them in, by remaining in that relationship. So, uh, so they choose to leave the relationship to be free from the yoke, from the 
um, assault from the abusive nature of the relationship with the narcissist because more, more or less a narcissist ultimately treats everyone in their lives as uh, extended objects that they can use, abuse, and take advantage of. So the, there's an in, inherent imbalance in terms of valuation. A person who is dependent or has no self-esteem um, does not get valued, does not feel valued, and uh, all the values and appreciation has to be channeled toward the person with narcissism, and uh, it becomes a very draining and exhaustive proposition that can not last over time. So, uh, in, on the long term, people with narcissistic personalities uh, end up losing. They have gained a lot in terms of admiration and validity and validation and um, positive responses uh, and rewards uh, for a few years, but uh, the series of failed um, losses and relationships over time and the failures that they experience, they amount, they accumulate and amount to a very much a very uh, sad, depressive, uh, self-defeating, uh, self-deprecating state of uh, and, and loneliness because nobody wants to be around people with narcissistic features anymore. Um, so we are at 5.51 right now. There's another five, six minutes that we will continue. Uh, I would like to just wrap up with the cluster B and then we will leave cluster C for next week. So the cluster B, we have uh, two more to go, which is the uh, borderline personality and history other. So borderline personality, um, if you think about it, we have the idea of um, fear of rejection and emotional dysregulation around that sense of anticipation of fear of rejection and <clears throat> and uh, and this vacillation between um, going you know two polar opposites of uh, feeling that highly valued and feeling extremely devalued as well as highly admiring another person and, and then switching to the sense of belittling and devaluing the other person. Uh, so this experience that the person with borderline personality has in terms of their self-esteem and uh, ability to regulate the intense feelings and emotions they get in uh, when they're when they're engaged in that type of a uh, very much dichotomous black and white observation, assessment, and thinking and feeling with other people is that um, that the whole experience and um, uh, engagement escalates to a point of really just hurting themselves and others and again ultimately leading to very dysfunctional relationships, highly intense, but a lot of times uh, fraught with violence or assault or some sense of uh, uh, self-destruction and destruction of others. So, and, and basically, again, another exhaustive, dramatic, uh, and, um, and, and draining uh, type of the interaction with other individuals. So, the benefit usually that they are experiencing from this type of engagement is really the intense drama and more or less feeling alive, feeling uh, some kind of a righteousness, some kind of a uh, value like that because they're taking things so seriously and they're 
um, extremely vested in certain ideology, if you will, and um, and more or less attempt and commit and dedicate their lives to uh, to being uh, or experiencing relationships in this way. They uh, more or less feel alive, if you will, and uh, and, and certainly the other benefit uh, would be, uh, if you will, what I would rec- uh, consider a, a coping skill that perhaps matches their um, predisposition. Perhaps there is a genetic component, and there are some studies that show certainly many of these personality disorders. Uh, can be very much genetically, at least to a great extent, uh, 30-40% genetically uh, predisposed. So uh, there's a match between the way they internally feel that they should be coping again with the anxieties of relationships and, um, and this particular coping style that they have acquired. And um, uh, at times, you know, feeling chemically, uh, hormonally, um, you know, biologically in tune with this type of a uh, lifestyle, uh, where they at one point of time they are in um, seventh uh, heaven or in the clouds and feel extremely uh, valued, extremely energetic and uh, ecstatic about life, and other times, you know, this deep, grave uh, depth of sorrow and. Uh, disappointment, disillusionment, anger, uh, lack of depreciation, and uh, you know, uh, rejection that ultimately is a pain they can endure more than us. And, um, and, and weather, uh, they weather through that storm and come out after a while again uh, on the other polar opposite. So, um, now how do we help with this individual? We have talked about that in the past. Um, you know, and also there's another video on that that I created, but generally it was really helping the person with seeing a benefit in uh, a different lifestyle, you know, a, a more peaceful, a more uh, gradual, a more manageable, a more contained and containable uh, and content way of dealing with anxieties. Um, kind of taking life less seriously managing these assumptions and anticipations of rejection and evaluation in a much better, much mellower way and uh, allowing time and uh, kind of consistency and the reliability in the relationship to, uh, to win versus the, uh, the fears of uh, possible uh, detachment or separation. And, um, uh, and it happens. Uh, we know that also biologically, in terms of chronological age, mm, borderline personality disorder is uh, kind of diminishing, uh, diminishes after age of 35. So mid-30s, late-30s, people who have had uh, signs of borderline personality in their early you know, teens, adult, adulthood, uh, earlier, late adulthood, they kind of uh, relent and they uh, exhibit less of these signs over uh, time at the age of, you know, after age of the late, late 30s, perhaps early 40s or 50s. So lastly, historianic is that um, particular personality that relies heavily on being in the center of attention, especially in a very sexualized matter. And 
again, to benefit certain is to get rewards from uh, the attention that the person getting from others at the expense of, again, kind of repeating this over and over again and perhaps breaking up one relationship and going into another relationship and feeling uh, or kind of making people feel manipulated by their uh, sexual, overly sexual presence and kind of wooing and um, uh, luring people into their uh, into their den, if you will, and then uh, acting out uh, on those anxieties of the game, uh, perhaps not being appreciated or fear of rejection or not getting what they want in an extreme way and which we know as a dramatic way. The whole four categories that we mentioned are fall into the cluster B, which is known as dramatic way. And if we can notice that all of them strive, kind of thrive on drama, that notion of uh, getting this um, sensation and reward from experiencing this drama, again, we can, we can help a person to see that there's a better alternative, non-dramatic alternative that ultimately pays off, even though at times it may be a little bit boring, but it is less disruptive, it's more reliable, more predictable, you know, more secure. It allows to, it leads to more security in a person, both in themselves as well as if, uh, experiencing the security in their relationship. So to wrap up, this was our discussion of uh, personality disorders and why they are hard to treat and some uh, opportunities and options as to how we can treat the cluster A and B. Next time, we will just wrap up next uh, next Thursday, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, we will wrap up cluster C and go into some other corrections that you may have. Feel free to email us, text us, post, and that way we can provide a list of options and answers. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful evening. Take care. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Therapy Cable Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast provider. To view the entire videos of these episodes, visit us online at therapycable.com and send us an email about your thoughts and topic suggestions.